0: Welcome to The World as We Know It, a history and geography podcast where you're invited to an audio tour of each of the world's 197 sovereign states. My name is Kiki.
1: And my name is Brad. And as always, we are your hosts. This week, our discussion is on the nation of. Lao! Wow. Wow.
0: Overall thoughts and in our initial familiarity ratings before we did our research. What about you, Brad?
1: Um, continuing the trend, I think I have a very low familiarity reading rating going into this country of Laos. Um, before research, I'd give myself um, let's say a three. I think a three. Um, I've definitely heard it before, usually in conjunction with Vietnam, as per you know U.S. history and stuff like that. So a three. How about you?
0: I guess in the Western. Way that I've learned. It's been kind of off the radar in terms of some other southeastern Asian countries. Uh, I would say my familiar rating rating is probably a three also. Okay. I will say also that the only familiarity I had growing up was from the stereotyped character on the show King of the Hill, (laughs) Hank Hill's neighbor, Khan Supanusinphone, was a Laotian person.
1: Yep. As far as the Western canon goes, Super Noosenphone was the uh, was the biggest Laotian.
0: Yeah, and they had character. a few, like one episode about their backstory, and I knew that it was communist because of that, but also King of the Hills from the mid nineties, um, and probably not a great educational resource.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised.
0: <laughs> All right. So Brad's going to give us the at-a-glance look snapshot before we get into the historical timeline.
1: All right. So the snapshot for this country. Um, The official title of the country is the Lao People's Democratic Republic. It is a landlocked country in the Indo-Chinese Peninsula in Southeast Asia. It's bordered by uh, Myanmar, China, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Thailand. It lies on that Mekong River. Um, The capital is Vientiane. Um, The official languages are Lao and French. Uh, The population of Lao is... Almost 7 million, it's 6.759 million. Um, that's from this 2015 census. The demonyms used for this country are the Laotian people or the Lao people. Um, the religion is 65% Theravada Buddhists um, and 31% are Lao folk religion. Um, the area of Lao is 91,000 square miles. Uh, the major ethnic groups in this country are 53.2% Lao. Eleven percent Kamu and nine point two percent Hamong. Um, as far as politics go, it's a unitary Marxist-Leninist uh, one-party socialist republic,
0: aka communist. It,
1: it's it's a mic communist. Um, the head of state is president. I'm gonna give it to Kiki.
0: Boon Hong for a chief,
1: and head of government Kiki
0: Prime Minister Thon Gluon Sisuli.
1: That was your host, Kiki, speaking.
0: I was trying my hardest.
1: <laughs> and the currency is the kip, which is a very fun thing to say. The kip. Um, and we're going to give it to the host, Kiki. She's going to take us back into antiquity.
0: Ready? Okay. So the physical geography of Lao is uh, very physically diverse. There are mountains, jungles, and beaches. The actually, ethnically, the people are divided into highland, midland, and lowland people. So it okay. kind of plays into the cultural landscape, the physical landscape does. And we mentioned it on the Mekong River, which is very significant. So in 2009, human remains, of fossils were discovered in the Tom Pauline cave, and they were dated back to 446,000, excuse me, to 63,000 years old. So very early human or hominoids. There's, mm-hmm. um, it was a jawbone and some other skulls, and it's evidence of a very early, like I think some scientists are saying not even completely homo sapien, mm-hmm. but like Homo erectus combination people. That sounds like it might be problematic. I certainly hope it's not to say it that way. Is the
1: term like proto-humans?
0: Proto-humans, yeah. That's the right term. um, So very early humans in the area. And actually these fossils gave a lot of information to scientists about early human migration patterns up from Australia in the island nations there. The first known inhabitants were Austro-Melanesians, I believe that's pronounced. Uh, and as we go a little bit forward in history, there's um, a lot of evidence of human activity there. One of the most notable is the Plane of Jars. And if you can take some time to Google it, it is very interesting. We're going to add some pictures to our blog also. It's also a little spooky. It's
1: super spooky. <laughs>
0: yeah. So there's these giant jars. They date back from 500 BC to like 800 CE. And they're just like, there's... Bigger than human ones. There's kind of smaller ones.
1: They're just a bunch of jars in a field. It's hard to express like how big they are. Like you know the heads on Easter Island that are like gigantic. They're like the jars that those heads would use. If those heads are real people, yeah, these are big right? old jars.
0: Are big <laughs> jars. Uh, and you don't really get an idea of it until you like look at the pictures. It's on. It's nominated to be a UNESCO World Heritage Site. That's cool. Some of them contain human remains. Some of them are speculated to a Captured rainwater that could be boiled and become potable. Hmm. I feel like there's a lot of uses for these jars, a lot of potential uses.
1: And they just let them hanging around in fields. Yeah, but they're
0: just in a big field there. So that is, I believe, in northern Laos. Uh, but you'll see the pictures on our blog, and we'll clear that up in some more links also. The Lao people, which are a branch of the Thai people, established Nanzhao in southwestern China in the 8th century AD or CE, depends on how we're going to do that. I think CE is how we're sticking with it. Uh, mm-hmm. In southwestern China, in the 8th century, did I ever feel? Oh, excuse me. Yeah. And to get to, basically, closer to where modern Lao is, and they lived under the, Kh- the Khmer Empire and Thai leadership. Fa Nguyen was the first leader of the Laotian state called Lan Xang, which means Kingdom of a Million Elephants. He also was the first one to introduce Theravada Buddhism to the region, which really took off, still the most popular religion. He was succeeded by his son, Un Heun. His other name, as he earned later, later in life, was Sam Sai and Tai mm-hmm. in 1373. And he really kept everything his father did together. So, Phan Yem was a great, great leader for the area. His son continued that tradition. But then he died. Things were pretty much okay for maybe another. Like, yeah, I'm like, I was gonna say like 40 to 100 years until the reign of Photisarat. Photisarat, I called him Foti in my notes because that's a lot, <laughs> ranged from 1520 to 1548. Uh, so he started in Lanzang a two century struggle with neighboring Myanmar, Ayutthaya, and Thailand. Um, and I'm going to make a note here. Myanmar, um, from this point on, will be referred to as Burma for the time, politically, it was referred to as Burma, yeah. and Thailand will also be referred to as Siam from time to time, because these were the names that they were called in the times of these histories. Yeah. When they do change their names, we'll start using those names instead. Makes sense. Also, Ayutthaya is a city in Thailand, if Okay, you're not, if you're not familiar.
1: And I'm not, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: they reached their maximum territorial expansion under Fotisaret, Um and then he gave his... Son, the throne of Chiang Mai. Uh, his son's name was Sit, Sitatirat. Uh, but then, after his father's death, he returned to Longsang to rule and he lost the throne of Chiang Mai. Uh, Sati tarat also moved the capital from Yiluang Prabang to the present-day capital of Vientiane. So we know that the capital that we talked about, even at the beginning of our snapshot, is very old in the relative yeah. history of Lao. It's
1: been here for 600 um, years, it looks like. It's crazy.
0: don't forget Luang Prabang, because it's going to stay a significant capital for the duration. Okay. When he died, Myanmar came in. Sorry, I called it, I told it all, total called it Burma. But Burma came in, and they really messed everything up. They took over Vientiane in 1574, and the chaos lasted until... 1637, when Suilinga Vung Zha ascended the throne and restored order. His order is actually considered the golden age of Lao because of his patronage of the arts, his encouragement of intellectualism, and his promotion of Buddhism. So when he died, his nephews took over with the help of the Vietnamese army, and then the Vietnam, sorry, the Vietnam, Vietnam took control of Long and the royal family declared themselves independent. They're like, we don't want to be under <laughs> Vietnamese rule. We're going to create our own kingdoms. Bold. Uh, so they created two separate kingdoms in the north called Luang Prabang and Vian which we're both familiar with. Mm-hmm. A few years later, the south also succeeded from the Vietnamese rule and created a third empire called Cham Pasic. This was the end of Long Zhang or the days of An Lang Zang. <laughs> so that was um. I appreciate it. <laughs> was
1: a good I appreciate it. That's beautiful.
0: As you can imagine, having three can- kingdoms didn't really work out because of all the infighting, um, and also trying to fight against the Siamese and Burmese forces. So an internal struggle and external struggle <laughs> it probably a, wasn't as well thought through. It's a pretty
1: small area for three kingdoms.
0: Yeah, there's not a lot of real estate there. Then all three were invaded by Burma and became subject to Siamese rule. So there's invaded by one and then ruled by another. So that, it's confusing the way it is. But Pretty that straightforward,
1: sense. yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, The kingdoms could govern their own lands, but they still had to pay tribute. So they okay. could still basically operate on their own, but they weren't really self-operating. The last king of Chan, Chao Anu took control of Champasak and was able to raise three armies. So he basically put his son, he sought permission from the si- Siamese to put his own son on another throne. And then he got control of the South. And then he was able to raise three armies against Bangkok in, that is that how we say it? Bangkok? I think so. In 1827. Uh, but then he was defeated soundly. And the Siamese troop marched on and destroyed Vientiane again. Well, Anu fled to Vietnam, and then Vientiane was then made a Siamese province. So after a while, it's basically under Siamese rule. Burmese come in time to time. Uh, and then after the British imperialized Burma, uh, Vietnam becomes a French protectorate. So the competition in that area.
1: Just a little new music for the French.
0: Yeah, so some intro music for the French. Um... Vietnam becomes a French protectorate, and that encompasses the area of Laos. So Siam garrisons the cities of Luang Prabang and Chiang Pasek, and they put their pressure on the borders, which causes the French people to react and to negotiate to really define the Siam-Vietnamese border. France wins the right to put a vice consulship in Luang Prabang. So they're kind of taking up more control of what is Laos now, which has been kind of up in the air between Vietnam and Siam and Burma. French annexation was completed by treaties with Siam in 1904 and 1907. This area is now called Indochina for this time and the administrative yeah. capital is Vientiane. Actually, so it's, it's Vientiane in Laos but then when the French take over they use a French, a French pronunciation which is how we see it on American maps today, which is Vientiane.
1: Hmm. Okay. Uh,
0: they allowed local autonomy but still took international and global control and control of the armies. They had the It's kind of what we learned about in in Afghanistan, in Antigua and Barbuda, where it's, they can kind of, you know, we all know at this point. Anyway, (laughs) uh, also, Siam officially becomes Thailand in 1939. In 1941, uh, some big things were happening globally. The Japanese put pressure on the Vichy government of German-controlled France, uh, and that places pressure on the French to give back the Thai territories to Thailand, and the Japanese took administrative control of French Indochina.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In April 1945, the independence of Laos was from the Japanese was proclaimed, but international power still stayed with France. So Japanese had to give up control, but France was still like, well, it's still kind of ours. At this time, there were two big movements, and it was an anti japanese power movement and an anti-French movement of the the Lao people and people living there. They just wanted to be free. The Geneva Accords of 1954 marked the end of French rule, and the participating countries agreed to the rule of a royal government in what is now Lao, or close enough to Lao as we know it, Uh, but they did say that there could be two recruitment zones, one for royal rule and one for communists. So although it's one state, because they didn't want to split it the same way as Vietnam, there's still two areas, one controlled by communists and one by people who are under royal rule. This creates lots of hostilities. So the Vietnam War starts shortly after that, and that spreads into Laos as a neighbor, and it got really heavily hit despite the conflict not being centralized there. Um, as you can imagine, and there's a lot of people and a lot of close connections between Lao and Vietnam. Yeah. Laotian factor, factions signed the Vientiane Agreement in 1973, which allowed for a coalition government and um, the ceasefire. So this was the only time of peace when this was happening, because everyone was like, there's a ceasefire, but Lao is basically the most peaceful place you could get to if you were in that area at the time, yeah. from what I understand. Uh, but then the Vietnamese com- communists marched into Ho Chi Minh City and Phnom Penh, and the right-wing forces of Lao were like, we're not going to F with that. And there was a bloodless takeover by the Laotian communists in 1975. They established the Lao People's Democratic Republic, and then they stayed very closely linked to Vietnam and followed a lot of their own policies. They kind of mimicked a lot of what Vietnam was doing in Laos. Mm -hmm. Following the Vietnamese communist model, the party leaders attempted to create agricultural collectives in the countryside and to nationalize the limited industry and commerce in the towns. That
1: sounds very communist. <laughs>
0: <It> certainly does. <laughs> uh, former members of the Royal Lao Army and the deposed government, sound, this is pretty bad, uh, perhaps as many as 30,000 were incarcerated in re-education camps. Ruh-roh. Yeah, it's not looking good. <laughs> <laughs> um these and other repressive political measures and the grim economic conditions in Laos compelled some ten percent of the country, country's population, excuse me, to flee across the Mekong to Thailand after 1975. Wow, that's huge. So yeah, people who wanted to get out were trying to get out, and then in the late 80s and 90s, they saw what was happening to the USSR, uh, and they started changing some things so that they wouldn't implode. That's smart. Yeah. Yeah. So they changed to basically family farm agriculture, where they didn't have to be part of collectives; they could raise food and crops for their families they encouraged private investments uh, and allowed a little more political participation they're still definitely on the one party system but they're trying to give people a little more reason to stay yep in 1991 they adopted new constitution They experienced significant economic growth in the mid-90s, and the government is still run by those who have participated in the revolution. So that kind of sets the administrative government now pretty far apart from the young people who are becoming more and more Western-minded. And those young people are leaving for Thailand, for China, and to the West, which is why there is significant population decline right now, or at least that's speculated by some economists. All right. So that was our history of Laos.
1: It was extensive. It was awesome. Yeah.
0: So yeah, I tried to get into some of the good stuff. There's so much more to learn there, but um, especially that
1: that pre-French colonial perspective. I'd never heard any of that before, and it was fascinating.
0: All right, so we're gonna go ahead and take our first break, and when we get back, we'll visit the flag corner.
1: Welcome back to the World As We Know It. As is tradition, we're gonna kick things back off with the trip to Kiki in the flag corner.
0: My favorite segment. So the flag of Lao is red, white, and blue. It is red stripes on the top and the bottom, with a blue stripe in the middle and a white disc in the middle. The blue represents the wealth, red represents the struggle for freedom, and the white represents hope. And it is also said that the white disc on the blue plane is the moon. On the Mekong River. This flag was adopted in nineteen seventy five when it became a
1: socialist state. I love this flag. It reminds me of the Antigua and Barbuda flag, with the flag itself mimicking that look at the beachscape and the and rising flag, sun. Yeah. This is the moon reflected on the Mekong River.
0: So the culture of Lao is somewhat stratified geographically between the highland, midland, and lowland people. Sixty percent of the population of lao are ethnic lao so and they all live mostly in the lowlands so that's kind of where the cultural hubs that are i guess what we think of most stereotypically are most culturally lao because that's where those people live in those in those regions makes sense uh the midland people are mostly mon khmer tribes also known as the Lao Tum, or mid-slope laotians um so these cultural differences are a little different they have different agricultural needs and different cultures that way. Uh, and then there's a lot more Vietnamese, Chinese, and Thai influences in those areas. And then the Highland people, those who live in the mountains, are the Hmong, the Yao, Dao, Shan, and some Tibeto-Burman. So that was a Colorado accent thing. Tibeto-Burman speaking <laughs> peoples. Um, who are a little more isolated from the cultural lowlands, but have their own cultural observances there. Um, the Hmong people... It should be of note to our, from what I read, the most discriminated against group. There's just a lot of difference there, I guess, from what I understand. Um, and I feel like that's something that should be noted. They also, some communities practice polygamy, which is illegal in Laos, which is, I guess, like one of those cultural things that I think might be more interesting to explore, want to talk about in the blog or in the
1: discussion. So you talk a little bit about the, the cultures of the people there, um, I looked up some interesting things about the biodiversity of the animals there, and I've learned that Lao is home to some of my favorite animals. Um, They've
0: got some good animals there, Brad.
1: So in the Mekong River, and I think, uh, I don't know if you mentioned it yet, but in Mekong, uh, the name refers, it's supposed to mean like the mother of all rivers. Um, so in a lot of cities, like centered along the river. But it's home with one of my favorite animals called the Irrawaddy dolphin. And give the Irrawaddy dolphin a little Google. It is a very smug, very cute little animal. Um, if you know what Pokemon, it looks like Quagsire.
0: It really does.
1: Um, it's it's charming and dumb, and I love it. Um,
0: Every picture of the Irrawaddy <laughs> dolphin looks like it could be a meme.
1: <laughs> the uh, the jungles of Lao are home to some of the largest red panda populations in the world, and red panda is my favorite animal. I think they're adorable. I also learned that they're, like, just like the colon-canned fish. They're, like, a living fossil, quote-unquote. They're, like, part of their own family group, family tree, whatever, like, phylum order. Like, in that branch of the life tree, there's, like, just the red panda left. So, they're really endangered, too, I think.
0: Um, In our blog, you might find a link to save the red pandas. Maybe not. I feel like I just want to include more links on the blog to help the things that we care about and talk about on on this podcast.
1: I'm for saving red pandas and Irrawaddy dolphins. (laughs) <laughs> They're Q.
0: So Lao holds two UNESCO World Heritage sites and then the two tentative ones. So the Plane of Jars that we talked about at the beginning of this episode is a tentative site. It's been nominated but it's not confirmed yet.
1: Surprise it's not confirmed. It's super interesting.
0: It really is. Uh but one of the ones they do have is the Wat Fu, which is a temple that has um a very large Shiva Inglam on it. or excuse me lingam if anybody wants to correct me please leave a comment happy to fix it tweet at us we'll do whatever we can to make this right if we get it really wrong um so beautiful statues and um places of worship there the other one is the old city of Luang Prabang which we've talked about was a huge big deal city in the ancient world and still the modern world it's the most heavily visited city in lao which makes this old uh city also one of the most visited tourist sites there it has a fusion of traditional Lao and French colonial architecture. So you're really gonna see that nice cool French feature. colonial in it. colonialism in there.
1: Wheat. Oui. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> a bilingual podcast, you didn't even know.
0: You didn't even know. French
1: toast. Les Poissons. <laughs> That's all you gotta know.
0: <laughs> um We're the Stereotypes Podcast, and this has been our episode on Laos. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just kidding.
1: So, sadly, to pull away from the antics a little bit, but one thing I was reminded of, and it correlates with my research, is talk about the timeline, the influence of Vietnam and Thailand, but um, during the Vietnam War, um, there was actually a treaty specifying the neutrality of Laos between the U.S. and Vietnam, however... Um, and this has come out in recent years and after we've, uh, officials have gone there and become more involved with like the, the post-war um, kind of reconnection with the, with the country is that the American involvement in Laos was kind of dubbed the secret war. And it's been found out that they're like the most bombed country in history. So two million tons of ordnance or explosives were dropped on Laos, which is the equivalent of a plane load of bombs every eight minutes for 24 hours a day. For nine whole years, um, and that was just during the Vietnam conflict by the United States on the country of Laos, and so there are so many unexploded bombs and casings and ammunitions still present in like the, the jungles and the highlands, the midlands, all over the country. Um, that there's a whole culture of like artists who use unexploded munitions; they may make, make art from it, or people who don't have the ability to you know access. Um, kind of machined, like, goods as far as, like, silverware and stuff. So they used, like, hollowed out, like, munitions as, like, cups and plates. And it's just, like, it's fascinating and tragic how much, like, a secret, like, unofficial war has shaped a country. And I don't know about you, Kiki, but that just, like, kind of pisses me off.
0: Yeah, it's really one of those things that it's just so infuriating and it's so unjust. And I don't... It makes me want to anger cry and then real cry.
1: Yeah, it's it's frustrating.
0: And in some recent history to kind of rectify or at least try to rebuild that relationship and rebuild trust between the United States and Laos, uh, in in 2016, Barack Obama went to visit Laos. He was the first president to ever go there. Um, and, and the U.S. has committed $90 million over three years to help clear unexploded bombs from that area. Um, that the U.S. dropped during the Vietnam War. So instead of having more go off unexpectedly, because we see that in the news from time to time, that there'd be unexploded landmines or unexploded bombs yeah. that pose a risk to these communities uh, that we're actually making an effort to not let that happen anymore.
1: And, and people think it's, like, too little too late, which is true, but at least it came late as in it like, never coming at all.
0: It's, um, it's something.
1: And uh, some things I've read, they they try to put a an upbeat spin on this, so, like, bomb casings have been reimagined as like cattle troughs and barbecues and like there's a wing of a plane as like a garden fence for some nice family and it's like well like life will just like endure and it'll, it'll it'll make do you know
0: the resiliency of the human spirit that's our next podcast
1: well until that one comes out let's do our post lao episode familiarity ratings Would you like to start
0: yeah i feel like i'm gonna go pretty bold on this one and raise what was my initial familiar rating at three
1: yeah, three. We're both three.
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to take myself up to a six.
1: Nice. Wow.
0: Um, because there was a lot that I did research in that I did not share on the podcast. So I wouldn't expect you to get as high as I did, but um, I feel very confident what I learned. I'd be happy to, as I say, always learn more um, and to hear from some Laotian people, too, about what they think.
1: I definitely feel like just hearing, like, an in-depth history, like, I already feel like I have to give myself a raise of, like, one or two points. So I'm going to go up to a five. Just because your history was, not only was it well-structured, it hit a lot of the key points I had never even heard before. So a lot of new information, I think, is growth. And so, grow up to a five.
0: I think, yeah, and ultimately in, like, our our growth of world history, I do feel like there's, like, and I think we're on episode six now, where I can look at a map and be like, well, I know the basic history of these five more countries than I did before.
1: And that ends our discussion on the country of Laos. We're going to take a quick break and then bring you back to you guys with current events. (laughs) welcome back to the Roar as we know it um in lieu of doing current events because we're doing two episodes in a row this week we're gonna get a little more personal and talk about what we're gonna be doing in school this next year what we want to be maybe doing in the future get a little more personal you want to start off, Kiki, or want me to do it? I
0: sure do. So, um, Brad and I actually both go to the same school. Big surprise. It's how we met each other. I'm not going to say what school it is, but if you follow us on uh, Twitter, you'll probably figure out pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm a MPA student, so is Brad, actually.
1: Brad is, too. I'm
0: not going to just keep talking for you, I <laughs> promise. Um, but I get my MPA with concentrations in local government management and public management. So I want to be a city manager one day. So quite different from being a geographer historian. Um, but that's kind of my goal. A lot of people don't know what a city manager is or does, but if you watch Parks and Rec, it's what Chris Traeger does. That's awesome. It's the best way to tell people what I want to do. Uh, right now I'm interning for a town and following and shadowing the city manager or the town manager is what they're called here. And it's it's just a really interesting job. People will not like me <laughs> i think i can handle that
1: um i read a cool article so the right one of the writers of parks and rec read this thing on the news that was like the human that'll be alive and when he's 200 years old is already been born right now and he said that's neat so he wrote the character of chris Traeger with that he's that person he's going to be alive when he's 150 or whatever ah, so they kind of had like a that makes
0: sense because chris trager says that he's like you like. The scientists say the first person to live to be 150 has already been born. I believe I am that person.
1: Oh, neat. I haven't seen most of portion of right, That's so.
0: okay. I really think you should, Brad, because of the school that we go to.
1: Huh. That's the first hint. <laughs> okay, so I'm also an MPA student. Uh, my concentrations are nonprofit management and policy analysis. Um, I want to work for a either a large local a large nonprofit one day or for the government uh, in Doing like services for people with disabilities—that's kind of my field. Um, yeah, I hope to—I work in that field now. I've worked for it for a long time. It's kind of where my passion is, and I hope to do that in the future. And I think it's fun to get to be able to do that. It's something I'm really passionate in, in my real life, but also continue to do. This is a hobby, this podcast, and this is my keep my you know interests well rounded.
0: I feel like we have to be students for our whole lives. Um, another thing about me.
1: That was so wise, Kiki. <laughs> That was as wise as the moon on the like River. I didn't
0: see it on the inside of a Dove chocolate wrapper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I want to say I do have a seven year old yellow lab named Gertie, and she is she's a good girl. My <laughs> she's a very good girl. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, what else? Gertie enjoys uh, going on walks, she's not a big fan of running. Well, she likes running, but she has a hard time keeping pace.
1: It's also super hot every day now.
0: Yeah, it will melt. So yeah, we don't we don't do too much. She loves turtles, probably more than anything. How did you find that out? So, um, so we're from Colorado, where there aren't a lot of wild turtles. And then my are apart- just turtles
1: roaming the streets in Colorado.
0: I mean, not a lot, which is what I just said. Well, that
1: shatters my reality.
0: Um. So. <laughs> Uh, but the apartment I live in now has this cute little pond, which is a chock-a-block full of turtles. Actually, I think cool. there's, like, it's actually, I think, a health risk to the existing turtles, how many turtles there are in there. Wow. I think it's, like, it's an isolated little pond, and I don't think there's a lot of natural predators. So every time they have eggs, like, they just, they're multiplying. So there's turtles galore. They
1: need a Yurtle-the-turtle-style despot to fix this. <laughs>
0: um... I feel like you're going to have to catch me up on Dr. Seuss after this is done. But anyway, so I found (laughs) out she loves... Because she hadn't seen turtles before. If she sees a squirrel, she'll get excited, but she'll eventually pass on. But she is relentless when it comes to turtles. Because sometimes they'll be out of the water. um, And there's a fence that separates the water from us. But they can get under the fence. And I catch them on the sidewalks. I catch them in, in, like, the lawns closer to me. And if she sees one, she will not stop. And I have to pull her back because I don't want her to get salmonella. Uh, those cute walking yeah, rocks. Yeah, but um also there's like a little baby one that got right up to my doorstep once and I live a distance from Like I mean it's human walking distance, but I think baby turtle walking distance would be a stretch. Aww. And so I picked it up and I tried to throw it back in the lake, but then it peed on me and so I threw it a little more aggressively, but I'm pretty sure it made it. <laughs> 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 but I could have been like, This is the turtle I give to my dog.
1: I'm so glad I asked about the turtles. That It's a really great
0: story. <laughs> that was interesting. There's also one of my old neighbor ladies. I've never, like, we, we've talked a few times, but, like, I don't know her name. She's just an apartment lady. Yeah. And the first week I moved in, I saw her throwing fish food at the turtles, and she was saying, Come here, turtles! <laughs> and seriously, there was, like, thousands of turtles with just their heads out of the water, like, waiting to be fed. And every time I pass around the same time, like, they all wait. They wait to be fed. And I'm like... Um, that's really cute, but lady, you're gonna kill all those turtles.
1: Chill, <laughs> yeah, lady. Chill, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: um. So what's something interesting about you and your life, Brad? Open up. Uh,
1: that, that was a great way to ask me. And, uh, I wasn't prepared. Yeah, you it's don't have any good
0: turtle things. No good pet things. No.
1: Um, let's the other night I was running, though, out in the world, as people do.
0: Did you trip on a turtle? Because that would be an excellent.
1: No turtles, but when I got away from the streets, away from the lamps and all the light pollution tons of fireflies all twinkling and it was very very summer very midwest that's a hint and i I loved it it was awesome (laughs) okay
0: actually um gonna go back to me because i love talking about myself but uh, i'm from colorado we don't have fireflies there and i saw my first firefly the other night i actually tweeted about it because i started crying (laughs) um because i'm very sentimental as a person (laughs) And, like, you know when you're a kid, like, you'll hear about fireflies, they're in books, people yeah. talk about Catching them. them in
1: jars, it's very yeah. Yeah, me. People do
0: that, but, like, it was never part of my childhood, and then you just kind of forget about interesting bugs for most, of, like, the rest of your childhood and into adulthood. So, it took me, like, I saw fireflies, and I'm like, oh my god, that's what I saw. And it was kind of like, you know, like you know something exists but you never see it so it kind of becomes mythical and i like they're real and so I was like crying
1: did you get some fish food out and said come here fireflies <laughs> 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 that's
0: what I'll do next time <laughs> <laughs> alright I've got nothing else to say what about you?
1: I think that's gonna do it for this episode but we can charm in together and hit it up for next week where our country's going to be the Ivory Coast, Coast. it's the Ivory Coast the Cote there were two ways to say it
0: yeah to bar because of uh, French colonialism, again, so we'll hear our good accordion buddies there. Uh, and I guess we'll see you then. Uh, and until then...
1: He's going to plug all yeah, I gotta of our say the thing. I gotta say the different things. accounts.
0: Yep, I certainly do. I thought we were scooping that. Nope. So uh, please feel free to follow us on Twitter. It's at, at the World Podcast. Um, we always follow back because we're polite. And you can also find our blog at the world as we know at Podcast.wordpress.com. Please rate and subscribe and leave us a review on Apple. That helps us get more viewers. We really want to reach out. And if we get anything wrong, let us know that way. Uh, but we really encourage high reviews
1: from attractive people.
0: From attractive people, because we will read your comments on air and we will rate how hot we think you are based on your comments. Uh, so please go ahead and do that. Uh, and thank you for listening.
1: So until next week, Soak the air!